You ever watch this guy on television? You all were not telling the truth, and you should not be trusted. Congressman Matt Gates, thank you for what you yeah. did for your country tonight. Be offended with the Democratic whip, not House Republicans. Like a machine, Matt Gates. Welcome to Hot Takes. I'm Congressman Matt Gates. Let's talk about the news. Attorney General Bill Barr set to retire from the Department of Justice a second time. Uh, he served as Attorney General previously before President Trump nominated him. December 23rd will be his last day, and Jeff Rosen, the current Deputy Attorney General, will take over the job of acting Attorney General. Jeff Rosen has worked in Republican administrations, but he's also been promoted in Democrat administrations. He seems uh, like someone who knows Washington well, uh, we'll put it that way. Attorney General Barr will largely be remembered for the success he had in concluding the nightmare Mueller investigation. Before Bill Barr, you had Jeff Sessions over at the Department of Justice who really lost control of the agency. I don't know that he ever had control of the agency. He had largely handed that off to Rod Rosenstein, who famously joked that he might wear a wire on the President of the United States to invoke the 25th Amendment. Yeah, he says it was a joke. It was probably what they were planning to do. At the Department of Justice, there are people who resented Donald Trump and his allies so much they were willing to break the law, bend the law, discuss efforts that look more like a coup than like justice. So Bill Barr comes in and much to his credit, he cleans up the Mueller investigation, he releases the full Mueller report, uh, and we were all able to see what nonsense that was. There were other matters, of course, of of great significance that were before the Department of Justice. I was grateful to see during his tenure that Attorney General Barr was a real advocate for free speech and religious liberty. If you look around the country, the Civil Rights Division under Bill Barr's leadership was aggressive in ensuring that during these pandemics, activities that were faith-based were not treated negatively in comparison to similar activities that were not faith-based. And I know how many Americans appreciate that effort by Bill Barr as well. There were rumblings of pushback against big tech. There have been antitrust lawsuits filed. And one thing I'm glad about is that uh, A.G. Rosen actually had a great deal of input into uh, that technology-based litigation to change the way that consumers interact on these digital platforms so that there is fairness, so there is not censorship, so that the terms of service for a tech company do not come more important than the United States Constitution. We would have liked to have seen more from Bill Barr pushing back against China. Uh, we asked that he work with us and law enforcement agencies to ban the use of DJI Chinese drones. And while we got a lot of bipartisan support on that, even working side by side with Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee, no, we did not successfully persuade the attorney general to have the pushback against China that I believe was necessary at the time and that frankly is still necessary. Also, when it comes to HR, I'm not sure that Bill Barr really cleaned out the Department of Justice uh, in a way that is needed, badly needed. You see, every agency in Washington works hard to help their friends and punish their enemies. It's just how they gain power, and every agency in Washington is growing more powerful. The Department of Justice, we like to think, is some exception to this rule, that they're above the partisan fray and that they don't engage in 
politics. The truth is, the Department of Justice may be the worst agency when it comes to engaging in politics. The setup of Michael Flynn, the counterintelligence investigation uh, into Russian interference that was perverted into uh, an investigation to destabilize and delegitimize the presidency of Donald Trump. Time and time again, we saw the Department of Justice not acting in the interests of justice, but acting in the interests of politics. And no matter what the leadership is of that agency is uh, moving forward, we hope that is corrected. The conditions in Syria are terrible. Syria is a place where during the Obama administration, you had U.S., Russian, Iranian, domestic, sectarian interests all running into each other, trying to deconflict and not start the next world war over this godforsaken patch of sand. And the United States was pouring hundreds of millions of dollars into programs in Syria that sucked, that were just abject failures. One of the people who designed and managed those programs is now Joe Biden's potential nominee to lead the Defense Department, General Lloyd Austin. And there's a great piece in the Washington Post written by Josh Rogan. General Lloyd Austin has a chance to fix his legacy on Syria. And frankly, the, the piece is a very rosy, opportunity-laden essay on how Austin can fix his failures. But the piece also highlights the failures themselves. Most notably, General Austin led an effort that cost $500 million dollars that trained only four or five fighters that survived the first battle. Now, by any measure, that's failure. The problem we have at the Defense Department is that we don't really fail fast and cheap to get on to the next opportunity to succeed, like you see oftentimes in the startup world, the entrepreneurial world. Instead, what you have at the Defense Department is often a desire to fail very slowly in the most expensive way possible. General Lloyd Austin represents everything that is wrong with military thinking that doesn't prioritize strategy or solutions or results. General Austin is a process guy, and the process was a bad one during the Obama administration. It kept American troops deployed in places that they didn't need to be for missions that were unrealistic. Like this notion that we were going to roll into Syria and hustle up a bunch of Arab rebel groups and get them all to fight under a common theory of an offensive against the Assad regime was ludicrous. It didn't work. The people who designed and execute the strategy were never held responsible. And now one of them looks like they might be up for a promotion in Biden land, whatever form that takes, whatever function it ultimately uh, sees materialized. I am not a fan of General Lloyd Austin. I believe he would be the wrong person to lead the Defense Department because he has failed in Syria. A Michigan judge has allowed the release of a report of the forensic analysis of the voting machines and software systems in Antrim County, Michigan, and oh my gosh, is it a doozy. This report 
concludes that the Dominion voting systems actually flip votes, that there is a purposeful design to this system that allows votes to be moved from one candidate to another. And in the report, it doesn't just highlight how this happened in the presidential race. There are even school board races where the failure of the software system resulted in different vote tabulations. Now, the Michigan Attorney General has shot back saying that it's misleading and inaccurate, but Michigan fought pretty hard to keep the report sealed. State officials in Michigan didn't want you to see that there is a forensic report that shows that the software system that they used and that was used all over the country was designed to create opportunities for fraud and that it resulted in the changing of vote tabulations. Now, the supervisor of elections in Antrim County has said this is the result of human error, but uh, as a consequence of this report, I think that is that is very hard to believe. And these are some highly trained experts. They know what they're doing. We're going to post the Antrim report. You take a read. You be the judge. My assessment is that this requires a full-scale review of software systems that were involved in vote tabulation and in the reporting of results. Because after reading this, I just don't trust what politicians and elected officials are telling me. I want to see what the science says and what the data says. And if even one vote was changed because a system was designed to do it, that ought to really call into question the validity of the 2020 election. And we should do something about it. We shouldn't just accept faulty election results. These reports, this evidence requires action. Even before coronavirus, there was a major trend in the workforce in the United States of America. People are able to live basically wherever they want and telecommute into work based on the proliferation of technology and just the, the changing nature of enterprise. That trend has been dramatically accelerated by coronavirus, as you might expect. And there is a story that we pick up from Bloomberg Opinion. COVID is accelerating the exodus from New York and California to cheaper states. So if people can live anywhere and do high-end jobs, why would they live in expensive places, particularly when those expensive places are embracing lockdowns? I mean, the reason people might be willing to pay a little extra in taxes to live in a metropolitan place like New York or Los Angeles might be that they enjoy the features of metropolitan life. And those features have largely been closed due to the reactions of state and local politicians. Uh, in this piece, uh, there is a study of the San Francisco Bay Area and New York City. And, uh, you know, you've seen people in those areas tolerating just eye-watering expenses and cramped apartments and other disadvantages because they had the entertainment, the sports, the art, the culture. Now that the pandemic has hit, there's a real diminished experience in those places. And so folks are moving where it's cheaper. And that means a, a real windfall for places like Arizona, Texas, Florida, where you've largely seen Republican policy put into place at the state level. That's created less of a burden on cost of living and more opportunity for our people. So if you're trying to flee from New York or California or Illinois or 
any other place that's not letting you live your best life under the best economic conditions, come on down to Florida, Texas, Arizona, but leave any of your left-wing politics behind in your old state. Only freedom-loving patriots welcome here. Parenting is often a reactionary enterprise. You're always trying to ensure that no matter what challenges your children face or what opportunities may present themselves, that you react in a way that creates a nurturing environment. And sadly, during the coronavirus, the reactions haven't always been positive. Public health officials, school officials reacting not by engaging in focused sanitation and protection, but instead in wide-scale shutdowns and lockdowns that very negatively impact young people. We pick up from Feed.org, reporting from a Cambridge study showing that children's mental health has deteriorated substantially during this lockdown period. And under the new University of Cambridge a paper, we see the first longitudinal study to trace the mental health effects of lockdowns and social isolation on young children. Uh, one of the collaborators from Stanford quoted as saying that focused protection is an approach to the pandemic and that in, instead of doing that, we have been requiring young people to bear the burden uh, of this disease, even though they face little to no risk. This is entirely backward from the right approach. And in this longitudinal study, you see the long-term effects of social isolation, of the restricted development for young people. And that's why it's so important we fight against these lockdowns and that we advocate for the right data-based response to the virus. China is devious and determined and aggressive. The United States better be ready for the challenge that they present. The latest coming from FoxNews.com's Julia Musto leaked Chinese Communist Party records show CCP members employed in senior, specialist, and advisory positions in consulates in Shanghai. That's right. China has a dedicated strategy to recruit people loyal to them and place them into consulates for Western countries. So in this report that we get from the Australian, we also see that Britain, Australia, saw their consulates infiltrated in Shanghai. And this is a you know, an effort that the Chinese Communist Party has engaged in over an extended period of time, as, as much as a decade. And they do all they can to try to collect information so that they can exploit it for their benefit and realize what, what frailties or weaknesses we might have or other Western countries might have that they want to exploit. Now, we learned this information because there was a leaked database of millions of CCP members uh, and when we were able to cross-check those members against people working in consulates, it was remarkable uh, to see how many had infiltrated and had used their positions for China's benefit, not ours. This is a warning sign that China takes competition seriously. They're not our friendly little competitor. They're willing to cheat, lie, and steal to get ahead. And we've got to confront that devious approach with aggressive action. We should be kicking out Chinese spies from our country uh, every opportunity we have to find them, locate them, isolate them, and remove them. 
And when the United States is engaged in mission abroad, we need to become far more resilient against the Chinese threat. Should public schools be required to have feminine hygiene products in the bathrooms? We pick up the story from FloridaPolitics.com's Drew Wilson. State Senator Lauren Book, actually a good friend of mine, a Democrat from South Florida, she has filed legislation that would require schools to provide the products. She calls it the Learning with Dignity Act. Here's my hot take. This is a slippery slope. What's next? Are we going to require deodorant in the bathrooms? Are we going to require for oral hygiene, toothpaste, and toothbrush? My sense is that schools ought to be in the business of educating kids and that getting them ready, getting them hygienic, getting them learned up for life doesn't necessarily require the public education system as much as it requires good parenting. And for those who would say, well, you know, some parents just aren't any good and the school has to step in, I think that's a dangerous thing to do. I think that only parents can parent. Uh, I think that young people who are going through the changes of puberty have to learn as part of the responsibilities of that the preparation to ensure that you have what you need. So uh, I think it's interesting that the more you get women into public life, the more you get these types of debates and discussions, and probably that's a good thing. Uh, Probably it'll be a, a good educational experience to go over what the legislation would require, but count me out for additional mandates on public schools to do anything other than teaching the kids. Thanks for listening to Hot Takes. I'm Congressman Matt Gates. This podcast is written, directed, and produced by a team that includes myself, Luke Ball, and Joel Valdez. Give us a hand, subscribe, perhaps give us that five-star rating on iTunes or however you rate your podcasts on your listening platform of choice, and join us tomorrow for more Hot Takes. Hot Takes.